What's up, everybody? Welcome back. Brand new episode of the Three Way Miss podcast. As we sort of head into the uh, summer doldrums here, it feels like a little bit of the golf season with some of the momentum we've lost coming off the majors. But I think plenty of big topics to talk about. Most importantly, I think, is Scott Peters is once again an NHGA champion. (laughs) Scotty, congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. I didn't think we were starting there by any stretch. but Of course uh, we are. But uh, you know what? Scotty sent his agenda for the show yesterday. In the first <laughs> of my titles. It was first, second, third, and fourth. I thought we were going to talk about the women's British Open this morning. I just watched a little bit of it at, at Muirfield. But um, hey, by the way, what is Laura Davies playing in her forty-second? Isn't something? that something? That, that is That's unbelievable. Cool. It is cool, no doubt. And and what I think she's only fifty-six or seven or something. Yeah, something she, like that. she was like fifteen when she started playing, but. Hey, uh, Scotty, congrats. That's real. Yeah, thank that's you. Really I good. appreciate that, you guys. I appreciate you saying something. You know, um, it's really turned into a fun event. You know, Matt, we've talked about this a few times. It, it, to have both days and an overnight up at Mount Washington uh, really just adds to the event because I've really, I've really found myself very much enjoying that golf course, which I'd never really played it until, I don't know, five, six, seven years ago. So it's a it's a wonderful Donald Ross golf course. Um, it's a fun event, fun format with a little alternate shot and best ball. And needless to say, when you have the best player in the field as your partner, um, it certainly helps uh, to do well. So that's what Steck said too. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> I doubt it. <laughs> uh, but we had a great time. You know, it's funny. Um, we really have enjoyed playing together a lot. We we. We think alike. We hit the ball about the same distance, um, and and we just enjoy playing each other, and we enjoy the competition. And so, uh, thanks to the NHGA for coming up with with a, with events like this. That you know, obviously the big tournaments like the Stroke Play and the Med Am and the, and the State Am are huge, but these other sort of smaller events, if I may, are really <clears throat> a lot of fun. And and. <clears throat> Excuse me, my frog in my throat this morning. He's getting, he's getting choked up thinking. About yeah, that, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, you know, there are a lot of fun events like that, and I think it just helps. You know, to use the live phrase, the popular live tour phrase, growing the game. So anyway, thanks. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we're either going to try and dip our toe into the mid am team championship in a couple weeks up there as well. So what the heck. I yeah, was hoping it, you were going to be there. Yeah, yeah it, that'll be really fun as well. It, it is it is a good little format, and I actually got a really nice email from Rich Parker afterwards. It's great to see Rich out playing and something like that, and, and he sort of echoed what you said, that it's, you know, it's just a, I think all of us sort of like playing team golf a little more than the individual format because you feel like you, you know, there's not as much pressure on every shot. Um, and Rich sort of said the same thing. It's it's fantastic to have these kind of playing opportunities and not just a, a senior am and a senior match play, and, and that's it for the older guys. Um, and I know there were some challenges with the weather. Um, I know you guys were kind of shuffled around with people withdrawn and stuff like that, but it is it is a fun event. Um, everybody seems to love going up there, whether it's, you know, for a ladies event, a, a senior event, the mid-am team coming up where we have gosh, 90 players or something, I think, at this point. Um, but it's a destination. And the golf course, you're right, Scott, it's 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 fun. Um, it's playable for everybody. And it's just, it's just a great chance to feel like you're kind of getting away from it all. 
I mean, that's great to hear, especially from Richie. And for our listeners who don't know, I'm going to pump his tires a little bit, which are probably overinflated already, but we'll do it. <laughs> and Richie is one of the great, uh, basically, golfers ever to come out of the state of New Hampshire or, you know, basically the Upper Valley. Played on tour, won the New Hampshire Open, has won a bunch of events at a high level. So that's a great compliment from someone like Rich who's playing an event like that. Yeah, two quick thoughts on that. Uh, not Richie specifically, but the event. Um, you know, Rick, uh, Maddie, you guys do a great job. To your point, there were weather delays. And, you know, nobody likes weather delays, whether you're running the tournament or playing in a tournament. You know, we had a two-hour weather delay before we even teed off. And then we were on the, <clears throat> I guess we were, we were literally on the 14th tee with five holes left when we had a, another two-hour weather delay. Um, but I tell you that simply because your staff did a great job. Kinsey does a great job. Uh, Darren was doing a great job up there. The communication was clear. It was understood. You knew what was going on. So having events like this are fun. Having well-run events like this makes it that much better. If there's any complaints, as any senior golfer might suggest, had nothing to do with the NHJ. It had to do with the fact that both rounds finished at 415 and the 19th hole closed at four. So if there's any negative <laughs> to that golf tournament was both days they decided to close right as we were finishing. And uh, and as you know, there aren't a ton of options up there. But right. other than that, it was a great, great couple of days. By the way, 14 is just the tee you want to be standing on when the horn blows. <laughs> Two-hour delay. You know, it's been pouring rain. Needs to say, the old bones take a little bit longer to get started. <laughs> <laughs> so... We, uh, we stuck out a par out of there and got the heck out of Dodge. So it was, it was good. Well, good stuff. We were happy for you guys. Um, you know, plenty to talk about. And even though the motto of this show is, is ever forward, um, I didn't want to go backwards a little wait bit. A sec, wait a sec. There's breaking news. TK, we had him. <laughs> he slid that under the radar right there. <laughs> that didn't get done by the committee. I think the actual motto is, is anyone listening, but we'll go with ever forward. Um, See, you're always selling us short. We have <laughs> listeners. You are selling us short. But I do do want to touch on Rory just a little bit. Um, I think we had the pre-British show. Um, and boy, it seemed going into Sunday like it was finally going to happen for him. And just beyond disappointed, Scotty, I know we texted a little bit and you said you were as bummed out as you thought I probably was for him. Um, you know, great round by Cam Smith, got to hand it to him. He went out there and won it. Um, but what, what do we do with this year for, for Rory? I mean, by any objective measure, he's had a fantastic season and yet it feels empty um, as we sit here in, in early August. Yeah, you know, not only, I mean, we give old Matty a hard time for, for the Rory love, but I think all three of us share the, you know, the admiration for who he is and how he conducts himself. And, you know, he's been an eloquent spokesperson for the PGA Tour this year. You know, I've always sort of believed good things happen to good people. And, and I was really thinking that after all he's been through, the tour's been through, wouldn't it have been just an absolute fitting way to finish off the major season with him finally coming out of his, I'll say, an eight-year drought, which may be a little bit unfair, but he hadn't won a major for eight years. Um, it just seemed like the stars were aligned for him to cap the season with such a, you know, great victory. And, and you know, he played well. You can't say he didn't play well. Um, I thought he probably phrased it pretty accurately when he said, you know, I didn't do anything wrong, but I really didn't do anything right. 
you just sort of felt as the round was going on when he kept burning edges and missing those birdie putts to sort of get the momentum going kind of thing. And then all of a sudden you see, uh, you know, Cam Smith, who's turning out to be one of the best finishers in the world of golf. And once that putter got going, you're like, uh-oh, this just didn't. It, 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 it was starting to feel uncomfortable for Rory as it sort of progressed. But I really thought if he somehow, some way could have made that birdie putt on 17 and send this huge roar to Cam Smith as he's trying to, you know, I say two putt 18. I, I call it a top putt because whenever I'm off the green, I putt. But anyway, <laughs> he uh, it just seemed like good things are going to happen and, and he it, and earned and deserved this victory. And yet, you know what? The best putter won. Yeah. Um, it wasn't even the best player. It was the best putter. And hard to believe he could hit 18 greens and and uh, and still not win when he had a lead. But it was disappointing. But but hats off to Cam Smith. He earned it and deserved it. Well, that's 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 right, Scotty, for sure. And you know, you, there's obviously little correlation, if not none, between amateurs and a guy like Rory. But the one thing that's similar and that we've all gone through is when you're making putts you're making putts throughout the whole day. And when you're not, it is just so hard. Yeah, the hole gets smaller, right? It just gets – and I just felt like watching Rory that day. And as you said eloquently, we were all – everyone, there had to be very few people that weren't rooting for him that day, right? Cam Smith, likable guy, everybody was rooting for Rory. And it's just getting the ball in the hole. You know, for us on a regular round, that's hard. For Rory in the major – it, that, that's the correlation. You got to get it in the hole. And it was hard for him that day. Yeah. You know, we, Scotty, we talked and I think the three of us were texting. He, you had to think before the round getting to, to 20 under, he would have thought at worst, I'm in a playoff. You know, if I get to 20, I'm probably going to win considering how far back Cam Smith was. Um, and as it turned out that you know, that would have at least gotten him into a playoff. But, you know, it seemed like he had a good plan going into the final round, which so was- Let me just offer that. You know, I, I agree it would have gotten him a playoff in that sense. But is it fair to suggest or at least ask, had Rory made a putt or two earlier in the round, does that change the dynamics of Cam's putting? And it was almost like the more Rory missed, it was feeding Cam into making more. And so- you know, does Cam two putt on seventeen? I say two putt again. He was off the green. I understand, yeah. but if he does, he get up and down on seventeen if he's tied or one back as right. opposed to ahead. And so, sorry, but the dynamics I think changed um, or would change if, in fact, Roy could put a little bit more pressure on him. Well, yeah, because you know, it's it's sometimes it's harder to play from the front than it is to be as far back as Cam was, because it's, you know, just go out there and make everything, you know, give it an aggressive role where he's trying not to lose. I think there was a little of that you could feel in that round. Um, You know, he has had some, some struggles on Sunday recently. And again, it felt like he had a good plan. What let him down was part of that plan was you got to make five or six birdies at least to, to make sure you're going to get, be there at the end. And, and it just didn't happen for him. But oh, yeah. Outside the, outside the holes that he's on in two, he didn't even have to make five or six birdies. He had to make two to Scott's point or something like that. Right. And yep. he's in, he's in the mix. Um, yeah, I mean, Scotty brought up 17 with Cam Smith. That was just, when he was short of that green, we're all going, okay, he's going to back up one. And then just magical touch with that putter coming up around that that bunker. Just incredible. 
And yet, didn't you feel like the way he was playing, he was going to make it too, right? You just Yes. When you watch the guys miss all the time, you think they're going to miss. And when you watch guys, you know, get that thing going, you just sort of feel like the, the, the it's just a bucket and they're somehow going to get it in that bucket. And another storyline coming out of that, uh, the rookie year from Cam Young. Right. I mean, he has really played well uh, this year coming out of the gate, especially in majors, but also just across the board. Quite a rookie year. Absolutely. And How many nice. seconds does he have? Like five or six seconds or something like that this year? Something like that. Yeah. He's got like six or seven top tens, which is right. incredible for a rookie. Um, and, you know, the nice thing is that that Cam Smith gets to play the villain and, uh, you know, beat the the favorite. And, and you know, in a couple months here, he'll be off to live. That's that's great. Oh, God. It's a good transition for sure. Yeah, that, I, that's one of the, you know, he's, as I said before, he's a likable guy. People at the tour like him, actually. He's very likable. He's, uh, he's kind of an introvert. But down in the Jacksonville community, he's kind of engaged down there. To me, I think the one shock to the tour was when DJ went. I think Cam Smith is the next big shock because a lot of the guys, who cares about? So you're convinced he's going? I think everybody in the know down there is convinced he's going. Really? Because I'm not convinced yet. I mean, I, 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 he very well might. I'm not saying he's not. I just, I, I, I don't. I'm in your boat. I don't want to be. But people in the know seem to think he's he's gone. Well, the way they, you know, it's whenever they answer the question the way that he answered it, it makes you think he's gone, right? So I yeah. get that. I, I've been saying for a while now that. We're going to find out a lot once the FedEx Cup and President's Cup is over um, because you know that Norman's going to make a strong push for the Australian. So the rumor is he got going to make an Australian team with Adam Scott, Mark Leishman, and Cam Smith. Yep. But they want to play in the, in the President's Cup, so they're not going to do anything till after that. Um, so, and so this is the funny part, uh, kind of behind the scenes down there. They think Cam may be gone before the President's Cup. They really? He may stick through the FedEx Cup and then go. Well, I mean, what's what's his number going to be? But now that he's a, a, a reigning major champion. What a, what a nice holdout for him, right? Yeah, that that if he wasn't considering it before the Open, um, certainly it sounded like, Scott, to your point, his non-answer post-championship post certainly lended itself to the, the idea that he's going. Um, Why would he go? I mean, I, I, we obviously know the answer of, boatloads of money but he has he's got boatloads of money why do you think he why do you think it makes sense for him to go i don't know the answer to that question anymore uh, look you're right everybody knows when somebody's going to offer you 350 million dollars to go play golf um you, you, there are not many people that are going to say no to that that is beyond generational wealth and you know you look at Stenson. But we're not talking that much, right? I mean, we're not talking. Who knows? You know, that this. Well, it's true. He may be driving the price up because Norman really wants him because he's an Aussie and they want to be able to say, we have a current major champion on our tour. What's the minimum number you think that he's. So, what, what was Bryson's number? Like 125, 150? Am I remembering that correctly? Something Sounds like right. That, yeah. is, he, is he there? Is he at the fill 200? Well, I, I guess I'd agree with Matt. Right now, he's the marquee player for them to get. He has so much more value than Phil, which, by the way, 
Phil who at this point. Seriously. I mean, imagine you still got this guy signed for another three and a half years and he can't break 80. Hello. Um, I think and, also, so, so oh, Phil, Bryson, I mean, there's nobody that has more cachet for that tour than the defending players champion, the defending open champion, and, and potentially the tour's player of the year. Yeah. So, you know, you could argue he's got more cachet than anybody right now. Now, does he have the same marquee value as, as Phil? Maybe not in some senses, but we're talking about golf ability as opposed to name recognition. And when you take that level of player, that's a pretty good steal. And you wonder, there's a factor, because uh, Phil's obviously, Phil's clout and, and what he brings to the table is actually with a, generationally, you think an older golf fan, right? And they're typically going to be in the boat of pro PGA Tour, you'd think, right? And then a lot of younger folks are saying, hey, I get why Liv is out there, disruptor. That'd be, that would be more Cam Smith. So I think you're making a great point, Scotty, about Cam Smith's got more cachet right now than Phil relative to what Liv is about. Well, and I, I think that, you know, months ago when we were talking about what is the business model for Liv? What is, how is this sustainable? How did, how are they going to recoup any of this money? We know it's a bottomless pit, but, you know, at some point it's not, juice isn't going to be worth the squeeze, even for the Saudis. Um, but it seems like they're trending towards this. A, they're selling the teams, right? The teams that, that's are going to be. That's sponsored. a great topic to talk about for sure. And you talk about an Australian team of Cam Smith and Leishman and Adam Scott. That's a way to bring more eyes to the tour in Australia. That's that engages that they, they have to be the three most popular Australian golfers, I would think. And now you're engaged with the golf community in Australia that way. So I understand that you know that. The footprint isn't as big down there. They they want more of an American audience to be sure, but you know, having a, a Japanese team creating a well, I think that's the way they need to go. Look at the the only way this thing is gonna really inevitably work is they need a TV deal, right? Correct. They need a TV deal. And you know, one of the ways, the most sensible way in my mind to get a TV deal is to get legitimate world-class players they don't have that right now i mean when henrik stenson who can't finish in the top 10 for three years on any event all of a sudden shows up and wins comfortably look at the level of golf relative to the pga tour is it's kind of a joke right it's it's really just not there but if you now start getting world-class players who are at their prime all of a sudden there's I think more value in watching because I haven't watched any of it since the first day. And, and ultimately the way this works is through a TV deal. So yeah. they, they need to, they now now need to create some, some uh, integrity. And that's not the right word. Some, uh, there needs to be. Legitimacy. Yeah. That's thank you. <clears throat> there needs to be. Integrity would work by the way. <laughs> Well, it, it doesn't work for anything the Liv is doing, so. Another piece of the conversation. By the way, let's not digress, but allow me to say, was that not just a MAGA rally at Bedminster? I mean, I don't. we don't need to go there, but yeah, was not that not get, the strangest part of it? We're not going to get political on everybody's ass here, but, what? I mean, what a circus. What an I absolute mean, circus. Joke. I mean, just the Trump family 
tree, if you will, was just using golf. I mean, it, that was weird. And it just seemed like totally appropriate on some levels. But anyway. No, it, um, fit, it, it, it fit I, perfectly for what the shit show was going on. For sure. I agree. Totally. So they need to be, to use Tyler's appropriate word, they need to be more legitimate golf entity. And the only way they're getting there is by getting these kinds of players. But I got to say, where's this? I mean, how, I know they don't need to justify the money, but if you're, if you want to get legitimate and now you got to sign me all these, I mean, the amount of money is just mind blowing to me. The, um, this, this little franchise, so the team franchise thing, we're kind of talking about the Team Australia, Team Japan, et cetera. I'm wondering how they're going to – because they said the captain is going to get 25%, or this is the talk. The captain is going to get 25% of the value of the franchise, the team, right? You guys hear that same thing? I didn't. I, don't, I haven't followed it. So I, I read that this week. So – and obviously they put some of their premier guys that they've gotten so far, premiers all relative, as the captains of those teams – and when you start getting a bunch of guys and putting them on the same team, how are they going to say, okay, DJ, okay, he's obviously premier on that team. But when you get like the Cam Smith's way over Adam Scott and Leishman, but why wouldn't Scott be like, I want to be the captain of the Australian team. I'm no, gonna here's what's going to happen. You ready for this? Greg Norman's coming out of retirement. He's going to be the captain of the Australian team. Right? I mean, <laughs> it's just, but, but they're saying you get 20. They're saying these franchises, and I don't get it, Matt, to your point of the dollar, the value of the dollar, endless pit. They're saying these franchises, if they do get sponsors, will be valued at $1 billion per franchise. To who? <laughs> well, that, that, it's so confusing, right? It's, it's the what's the dollar? How's it valued? Who, who's valuing it? Where's the billion? But I mean, that's another 250 that they're pitching. I mean, that's, that sounds like, you know, false bravado coming from Liv a little bit. If, if every elite player in the world was on this tour and they had this team format, then, you know, sure. You know, if you had teams of guys from the UK, if it was Tommy Fleetwood and Rory and, you know, give me another good English player or whatever. Okay, sure. And they're all competing against each other on a week to week or month to month or biweekly basis. Okay. I get it. But I, you know, I heard the same thing that you know, Adidas is potentially going to buy a team for a billion dollars. Give me a break. I mean, why would they, what is, what's the return on that investment? Why would they do that when, you know, yes, it seems like live is trending up right now, but in 18 months, we don't know where this thing's going to be. Why would they do that? Eddie Pepperell. <laughs> He'll he's never a, go. He's a good one. By the way, is anyone embracing this team stuff more than Pat Perez? Yeah, fucking schmo. <laughs> this guy's a schmo. You see his picture with his shirt? Like his. I, I mean, oh it's, it's priceless. Well, they're all just—they're all so disingenuous. And but look, at the end of the day, you know, I—I I believe I heard this correct that Stenson won more money last weekend for winning that dumb event than Finau won winning the last two events combined. Yeah, but who earned more respect and admiration? I totally look. You, you, I, I totally agree, right? Finau is—he's a bona fide star at this point. By the way, the guy, you know, is a great player. Um, but money talks, and how many more of these guys on tour are going to look at that and say, "I can get hot one week and make five million dollars plus whatever I get for the team portion of it," and 
that's going to double whatever I would make on tour. I, 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 I'm not saying that that is a good thing at all. I'm just saying that you know that's what the thought process is. So what are your thoughts on the, the lawsuit, the injunction filed and 11 players suing the tour so that three of them actually are hoping to play in the FedEx Cup next week? Um, they even, and of course, he's now my man, right? They even, guess who was mentioned in the lawsuit and they're going after in the lawsuit? That's right. Fred the Hammer Ridley. <laughs> you did. He did. He was listed. So, so the oh, hammer has now been named. Ham doggy. In, in the lawsuit. And I'm going to tell you, I think that's one of the dumbest things they could do. Yeah, you definitely want to draw the ire of the Augusta National. I think that's one of the attorney. dumbest things they can do because the hammer is going to, he's going to nail it. Hammer him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the hitman, Fred the so, Ridley. So how's that? So next week, let's just say, and I'm guessing, because they allowed him in the Scottish show, but I'm guessing, you know, Taylor Gooch, Matt Jones, and Hudson Swafford are going to be allowed to play in the first tournament of the FedEx Cup. I don't know this. I'm only guessing based on what's taken place. I hope the, not. The but history I think, of injunctions. But, and your, uh, but them. how's that for a comfortable little atmosphere? Yeah, and is there any doubt the three of them are going to be paired together? Right. Yeah, they, they put the, them together, or they, they put them the with five forty-five a.m. tea time. On first the off, day, paired yeah. together. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, how's that atmosphere? And 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 I saw Davis Love interview. Did you guys happen to see Davis interviewed yesterday? Yeah. He was passionate, emotional, angry. I thought it was very well spoken. I don't know anything about the legality of all this stuff, but did you guys boy. see JT last night? I'm sorry, JT. You see I Justin did not Thomas? see JT last night. He was on. Uh, he was on knowing Le no laying up our sister podcast, and um, he just had some very poignant words about. He said, "You know, you're suing the tour. You're suing me. You're suing Rory. You're suing Tiger. You're suing all the people you've looked in the eye, played with, played in groups with, played in cups with, played at the Ryder Cup with. You're suing me." You could see there was a. It's been personal, and now it's getting. I sense the same thing from Davis Love. Same sort of message was, you're well, suing was, us. Right. And I think that there was, you know, a few weeks ago, a few months ago, it was kind of like, if you guys want to go do this, just go do it, you know, and whatever, we're going to do our thing and you're going to do your thing. I, I guess you sort of felt like the lawsuit was inevitable, but you guys are both spot on. Now it's, now it's personal. Now they've, they see, to use a, a, a catchphrase, you know, they, they want the, their cake and eat it too. And I think that's what's really going to piss the tour guys off is you you got all this guaranteed money. We all know you left because of the money. And now you want to come back here and rub it in our faces, those of us who have been loyal to the tour. Um, and That's what I don't get is I, I – look at it. Obviously, I've gone on record. I'm not a fan of Liv. But you know what? I understand the fact that somebody's going to pay ungodly amounts of money – that you take the money and you go play in the tour. Fine. I accept that, understand it. It is what it is. What I don't get is why they think they should be allowed to come back. They go to a competitive tour that is literally damaging the tour that they just left. And yet, and they preach all this more time, less travel, you know, all this kind of BS. And now all of a sudden they want back in because it's, Convenient for him. I guess I can't understand it. I don't, it doesn't make any sense to me on a bunch of levels, let alone the 
fairness of it to your fellow competitor and the cherry picking of these events and it's just so disingenuous and and lacks consistency yeah there's just hypocrisy abounds right that it's we we're doing this because we want a better quality of life and the play less and and oh now by the way we're suing to be able to play more golf um or now i need to go grind on the asian tour so i can get you know world golf ranking points so i can be able to qualify for the majors because live doesn't have any world golf ranking points right now because they don't qualify so i i think that's that I, I agree with you, Scott. You can't, I, don't, I, I can't begrudge people for having a check put in front of them and basically saying, I'm set for life. My family is set for life. My kids are set for their, the rest of their lives. And their kids are probably set for the rest of their lives. It, it would be hard for anybody, I think, to say no to that, even knowing where the money comes from. Money's green no matter where it comes from. But the... the and it's been this way from the beginning. The messaging is so damn sloppy at every step. They can't keep their story straight. We want to play less. I want to be at home more. Well, now well, when you're lying, it's impossibly consistent when you're lying because it's, it's always 100%. Right? You're exactly so, right. That's exactly it. So, so ultimately, my bottom line is if you want to play live, play live. Go play live. But don't come back or don't think you should be able to come back. Don't sue and come. I don't. Why does that make any sense? It is, and it's interesting, um, you know, obviously between, so not obviously the guys, all those folks that are suing did not resign. So you wonder what type of um, advice, uh, obviously all of these guys have their, their agents and their lawyers and everybody on their team, the guys who did resign, the guys who didn't resign, the paths they're taking and the 11 that are suing did not resign. And you hear on the back end, a guy like DJ said, I get it. I'm actually going I don't want to play more. I, he resigned from the tour. He's not suing. So there's got to be. So Kepka didn't resign, right? And yet he's not suing. Do I understand that correctly? You know what I did? That's the thing. It's like. I don't think Kepka resigned and he's not suing. Yep. He, he probably doesn't understand what a lawsuit is. <laughs> I would have said that about DJ. I thought maybe. They're both in that boat, I think. Yeah. DJ just does not care. Does not care. Which, you know what? Okay. Right. They, but he's been Simple Jack forever. Right. And he's been consistent with everything. Yes. He, you know, he, there's no. So, the I don't know. I'm, 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 it's, it's all about waiting for the hammer to fall. Fed the hammer. It's kind of exhausting, though, isn't it? It's kind of, I mean, just, I don't know. It, it takes, it's taking away from the world of golf. It's now. It's it's going to be all about about litigation, you know. It's it's about all the stuff other than you know trying to get up and down or trying to make a big putt. It just it's just too bad, you know. It's just yeah, too bad. It's it's turned the whole. It's a sideshow. It's turned everything into a circus. To your point, if these guys are somehow if there's an injunction and they're allowed to play, I mean, can you imagine what that scene is going to be like? Um, if they're out there and and they probably will be paired together, but guess what? They won't be paired together on, on Saturday after the, the cut right. gets made. And so then, you know, it's just, it's how comfortable can that be? It's just gotta be awful for everybody. Right? right. And, and, you know, we remember this time last year, we we're dealing with, you know, fan issues and, and um, you know, people getting heckled and yelled at all that stuff is going to start again. And I think there's a portion of the, the, the golfing, community and golfing public that 
wants to give these guys a hard time about it and wants to call them liars and hypocrites. And, you know, you're working for the Saudi royal family. And, you know, again, I see it from both sides. These guys made a decision. They want to be paid all this money to do this, and that's fine. But there are repercussions for every decision that all of us make in life. And, you know, they're going to have to reap what they sow a little bit here if they're allowed to play in these events. It's not going to be pretty for them. Agree. It's a there's so much noise. It is it is quite annoying as a as a golf fan. I think we've described it, you know, all of our feelings on it today. So but one other aspect of it is what are what do you guys feel like that the the PGA tours response to this has been? Good, bad, you know, caught flat footed reactive instead of proactive i mean you have started to see i think a little more criticism of the tour and how they've handled it now what they could have done differently i i don't i don't know i don't know what kind of conversations were already happening when this stuff started to percolate percolate years ago with the premier golf league too that was out there um but i think it, you're asking a really good question matt um they deserve some criticism for sure Probably should have been more proactive. A lot of their stuff now is obviously driven by well, especially if they're going to lose this this most recent lawsuit, right? If yeah, if if they lose that, then they've been fools the whole time. Yeah, that's yeah. totally that's totally right. And they're obviously driven by counsel right now. So everything since March has been driven by you know what the lawyers are saying. Yeah, under the assumption that they're they're in the right. Right. Well, they believe they are. Both sides believe they are. All right, that's a standard lawsuit, right? That's <laughs> a pretty standard trial. Cool. Um, but I think, Matt, you bring up a really good point. And I, I'm pro-tour to the bone, but they should have been more proactive going back a few years ago with maybe the PGL, with the guy Andy who runs that. Norman was never going to make it in any type of dialogue with Jay and the tour. That wasn't going to happen. But they needed to get more creative. They obviously have a little bit, but a little too late in some circumstances. I think you bring up a really good point. They obviously released their schedule the other day. They dropped a bunch of money into like that six-week swing between March. I think it's between March and April. Um, but yeah, they had to get more aggressive earlier. So it's it's it seems very reactionary for sure. Well, I think I I I don't think they anticipated this thing getting as far as it has. Um, I think they've been playing on the emotion history card probably a little bit too much um and ultimately it really comes down to because if if they can win if they are in the in the right with this lawsuit that just came down yesterday then i'd be less critical yeah. um, because ultimately that means um that they were legally correct and while they probably didn't handle everything the greatest way from a pr standpoint i think legally if they end up winning this um, they're, if they're legally correct, then, then I think you give them a bit of a pass. Well, yeah, um, if, if, the, if the courts come out and say, hey, look, this is a private entity that's you know, membership-based and they have the ability to tell people when and, and, and why they're not allowed to participate, I think that sends a message to a lot of the guys that are on, on tour now that might be thinking about it that, okay, well, if, if that's the precedent, if I go, uh, I'm never going to be able to come back presumably. And I think that would be a big win for the tour 
if I think you're spot on, Scott, if they lose this and, and, and the courts say, and I think we know this is going all the way up the chain, no matter who wins the first lawsuit. Um, but these guys are independent contractors and nobody can tell them where and when they can play. Well, then we've got a brave new world of professional golf on our hands at that point. Yeah, and yet, and yet it, it seems to me that, that it is an organization that you are a member of, that you agree to the rules and regs of this membership. So it seems like the other point that I thought was interesting, by the way, is that part of this antitrust lawsuit thing, and again, I don't, we don't go down too far in this, but, but I was interested to read that part of the lawsuit needs, needs to recognize that Liv is not successful because of the monopoly of the PGA Tour. I think they've lost some of that because, in fairness, Liv is far more successful than I ever thought it would be. Yeah. And they're getting these players that I never necessarily thought they would get. And so hard to argue antitrust slash monopoly when you're actually having some degree of success. Right. Um, because the whole premise is you can't succeed because of monopoly. And I'm not sure um, that's occurring. On a side note, I thought it was very interesting that what came out of this lawsuit too was uh, the disclosure of Phil that was he was suspended for two years. Yeah. I thought that was very interesting. Um, but it wasn't even two at the time. In March, it was for two months, right? And we didn't know. Did you see that? Uh, I guess I didn't make the, didn't see the difference. Yeah, I just saw the two years. Yeah, so in March, it was for two months. Uh, two months later, they get, when he played in the first event, it was for a year. And when he played in the second event, it was for two years. Hmm. So that's interesting and that's significant, but. And, you know, I mean, honestly, was, at this point, Phil's becoming an afterthought anyway, isn't he? I mean, but it's sad. His, um, it's sad. his initial suspension, there was uh, the word recruitment was used. Right. He was recruiting. Right. Right. More lift players. All right. Well, I think we have we beaten that horse to death. I mean, yeah. unfortunately, it's not going away. It doesn't seem like anytime soon. And there's there's plenty of intrigue around it for for golf fans to be sure. But it is well, you know, the real that's ignoring live. The real story would be the last tournament of the year before playoffs. But even more so, in many respects, we're talking about you know people's livelihoods and they're keeping their tour cards. And you know, with one tournament to go. You know, good friend of the show, Mr. 125, Austin Smotherman. You know, huge weekend for him. Yeah. Ricky's at 123. Yep. Huge weekend for him. Um, I mean, to me, those are the fun stories. You know, these guys are are heading to Greensboro for the last term of the year, trying to secure their card for next year. Well, it's usually a fun time of year because of that. And then you also have the intrigue of the end of the season on the Corn Ferry Tour and the, right. the pressure that those guys are under to get finish in the, the top 25 and to get the automatic call up to, to the tour. So, I mean, you're right. I, you know, It's not like it's a, a big event this year by any stretch, but those storylines that I think most of us bigger golf fans would be focused on, you're just, you're not right now. It's, and it's too bad. It really is a shame. All right, I want to transition back to the amateur scene, right? We're, we're in member guest season. Give me some, give me the best member guest experience you guys have had, state of New Hampshire or otherwise. Holy cow, that is, that's changing things quickly. Well, I'd have to, I mean, my immediate one would have to be just last weekend with my friend Jakey, pull off a W 
Um, you know, Jake plays behind W. Jake plays in the Tommy Keen with a very strong player, but they never seem to make the championship flight, <laughs> um, which I find interesting. And so I decided, well, I'll try and pick Jake's spirits up a little bit, and I'll bring him in as a guest at the Lake Centipede member guest. And we had a nice little victory. And so I sent a text immediately after victory saying, I guess Jake isn't the problem in the Tommy Keen. <laughs> it's true. And I actually offered my resignation from the tournament on the spot. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> is that what you were asking about, TK? Was that, is that where you we were leading to? No, well, I like that title. But no, I'm just saying in general, right now we're I'm I'm leading into the Portsmouth one this weekend. Scotty was in Lake Sunapee last weekend. Who are you and playing with this weekend? I'm playing with Big Dave Sullivan out of Kachiko. Oh boy. Sure. The tractor trailer himself. How large is the field? I want to say it's 72, but I don't actually I have not played in Portsmouth in about a decade, so it's wow. my return. What is the format? It's um, it's just nine holes, you know, best ball. Nine hole matches. Six matches. How do you five. get that many people around on a golf course? You just playing eighteen a day? Yep. Okay. So three. Because that's a big field. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I have not. Uh, so, anyways, as I said, I haven't played because Scotty, as you know, we played in late July for many years. That's right. In an in an event, so I typically, obviously, wouldn't back to back it with the family. Um, so now I'm, I'm coming back in. It's going to be, uh, it's going to be fun. But my, my point is there, every tournament's got their two day, their three day member guests. And it's typically their premier event, their summer classic, the, the, you know, what the members really look forward to. So that was my question. What's, what's the best one you've played in and why? So I'll, I'll give you guys kind of a funny story. So my, my dad lives down in Savannah, um, and they have a big, big three-day which used to be in april so the for a couple years they moved it to october so a couple years i was able to go down and play with them and first year we did pretty well i think we finished second in our flight um and then the next year i went down and it worked out great because the kids were off school in april so the whole family got to go down and unfortunately we played like ass i mean we were we were terrible you know dead last in the flight so we're we're playing these guys in the last match and we're just, you know, hacking it around everywhere. They, you know, more or less got us closed out with like two or three holes left. Well, you know, we're, we're not feeling great about ourselves. And lo and behold, my wife, Sarah shows up with the kids. My mom shows up and, you know, now the family's out watching that kind of lifted our spirits. And all of a sudden he and I just turn it on and like win the last three holes and we get done. And I said to my dad, I think we may have just kept these guys from actually winning the flight and we got in and looked at the scoreboard and because because we won the last three holes we kept these guys out and god bless them they came up to us after having a beer and said you know losing those last three holes kept us from winning the flight and, and we're like oh yeah we know um <laughs> so you love playing that spoiler role i apparently um yeah it, it was it was kind of a funny memory for a a weekend when we didn't play too well well, those are the best parts, right? I mean, th th those weekends can be so fun, even if you're not leading your flight, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, this was the first time that uh, that there were three Peters in the same flight uh, in That's the Lake Centipede cool. last weekend, and that was pretty cool. And uh, to have the two boys in the last match, it was down to the three of us, and any configuration of the three of us winning or, and or losing would have given somebody the title, and so anyone could have won. And so that was, for me, that was as much fun as, as any I've been, and only because you got my two sons and I and three different teams battling it out. Um, and, you know, in those nine-hole matches, anything goes, right? Yeah. I mean, anything goes. 
So those are fun times, no doubt. They are. I agree. I, I just think it's a fun thing. It obviously brings a lot of energy to most clubs this time of year. Or when I say this time of year, in northern New England, this is when we have them. No to doubt. Matt's, yeah, to Matt's point, down south, they have two of them a year, and they're in the, and they're nice. They're in the spring and the fall and the winter, yeah. et cetera. So. All right. And Concord well, Country Club held up well this week, Matt. It was a golf course was in fantastic shape. Um, the women's state amateur, New Hampshire state amateur. That's why I brought up it. And Matt's a member of Concord. Um, golf course was just phenomenal. Um, and, you know, a heck of a finish to the tournament. I mean, you guys know you've played Concord. Concord is not an easy golf course. No. Um, really difficult green complexes. Um, and look, I'll be frank, we we set it up like it's a championship. It is a championship. It was a really, really challenging setup the last day as well. And, and for Juliana to go out and shoot 73 uh, with par being 70 on the final day to, to get herself in contention and then into a playoff. Um, and then they played 17 and 18, her and June Door in the playoff. Um, and 17, the pin. So was 17 part. was the first playoff hole? That was the first playoff hole. How about two birdies? The wow. first playoff hole of the stadium. Juliana made about a... 25 footer um, for birdie. And then June got up and dropped one right on top of her. Um, that's, really, that's awesome. It was, I mean, it was really impressive to watch. You know, I'm nervous. She's, you know, you got a 16 year old and a 17 year old in a playoff to win the, the ladies state am, um, you know, I, I was thinking about it on the drive over the, the future of golf in the state is bright. I mean, you, you see these youngsters that just continue to come up through the ranks and Juliana's played in the, on the junior tour for a long time um, to see her put it together and win this championship at 17. And it was great. There was some coverage on MUR last night on the six o'clock news. Oh, yeah. And even the, you know, even the anchors are talking about how impressive it is to see a 17 year old win that championship. It, it was, it was pretty cool. It's so did I, do I assume par one on 18 or? Yes, she, uh, Juliana two-putted for par, and June unfortunately missed kind of like a four-and-a-half, five-footer to say par. She missed it on the high side um, to three-putt. So it was it was a good event. Um, and, again, you know, that's it just says a lot to the future of the game to have a 16-year-old and a 17-year-old in a playoff there. Oh, that, that's so awesome. And then, and then one of the other great AMs in the state who couldn't play uh, and is getting getting health back right now, but Karis Fennessy, she would have been right there in the yep. mix. So that's three great young players. For Absolutely, the future of women's golf in New Hampshire. Yeah, it was a good week for sure. All right, well, I think that's all we have. Pretty short show this week. I know uh, everybody's got a place to be here on a on a Thursday morning, but a good a good get together, boys. We'll do it again soon. Um, appreciate everybody listening, and uh, I'm cheering for Harry Higgs and Austin Smotherman to play well this week. I want them to keep their cards. I like it. All right, guys. Thanks. Have a good one. Thanks, Thanks forward, everybody. Soon. Back soon. Going forward.